0: Do you know the power of psychosensory modalities in therapy? The alternative healing modality called Havening uses touch, body movement, visualization and distraction with amazing results with decreasing trauma response and anxiety. In today's episode, we will explore the astonishing benefits from this modality and you'll get hands-on practice which you will feel the benefits from right away. This is Holistic Counseling the podcast for mental health therapists who want to deepen their knowledge of holistic modalities and build their practice with confidence. I'm your host, Chris McDonald, licensed therapist. I am so glad you're here for the journey. Welcome to today's episode of the Holistic Counseling Podcast. I've been really curious to explore the havening techniques for a long time but I'm so glad you're here with me for the journey. Today's guest is Kristen Krippa, a licensed psychological associate and a certified havening practitioner. A fun fact about Kristen is she loves to travel, garden, and nurture her animals. Welcome to the podcast, Kristen.
1: Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thanks for asking me to be on the podcast.
0: Can you tell my listeners more about yourself and your work?
1: Sure. So I, as you said, I'm a licensed psychological associate. I am in my 31st year as a psychologist in North Carolina. I work primarily with children and teens, but I do see adults as well. And I am intensively trained in play therapy and animal-assisted play therapy and sand tray therapy, as well as, I, as you said, a certified havening practitioner. Want a group practice and an intensive outpatient program.
0: So you got a whole empire you're building.
1: (laughs) We're working on it.
0: Yeah. So I know you said travel is your number one thing, it sounds like.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love to travel. I've got a teenager, so it's easier for her to travel with us now than when she was little. We have spent a great deal of time this year, particularly exploring the world. Where's the last place you went? So we just came back from Switzerland, Austria, and then we spent a few days in Germany. Unfortunately, I kind of missed out on Germany since I came down with COVID while I was there.
0: Oh, no. Oh, gosh. I loved your pictures.
1: I try to post them for the people who want to know where I am. And they're usually blurry because, as I said in one of my posts, traveling with a teenager. (laughs) 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 That's so funny. Always running by things going click, click. I love it. Oh, that's great.
0: So what is Havening? Can we start from the beginning with that?
1: Sure. So havening is a modality that clinicians can use, but also other practitioners, because it's been opened up to people other than therapists to use as long as you're not working with people who have significant amounts of trauma in their background. But it employs physical touch as well as distraction techniques to help the client either overcome a trauma or maybe we can use it for phobias, fears, as well as self-improvement.
0: So is this a good modality for therapists to use for self-care as well?
1: It's an excellent modality for therapists to use for self-care and can also teach your family members and use it with them. I've definitely used it with my own, my own teenager. And when I use it with clients, I often will ask if I'm working with a teenager, I'll ask them to teach their family so that they can all participate in using the same technique.
0: In your experience, have teenagers been open to it?
1: Yeah, I know. Teenagers are often interested in it because it is, little bit different and when i explain to them what it's used for they can understand pretty quickly that it helps them get better faster so that we are able to move into trying something new and different i often incorporate if working with children and teens i'll incorporate their parents if they if their mom comes with them or their dad I can ask them to participate. And one of the things that I've seen that's been really beautiful in this process for me is watching the parent while they are applying the Haven in Touch to their child or teen, and they're helping with the healing process. And often with teens, we go through a phase with our teenagers that they don't really want the hugs and the snuggles that the parents are used to when they were younger. And so now that here's this opportunity to provide this really healing touch and often whatever the traumatic experience may have been for the teenager, the parent has a secondary trauma that they're dealing with knowing that their child or teen is struggling. And so when they're part of the healing process very directly, they get a secondary benefit.
0: That's beautiful. I'm sure it's amazing for you to
1: witness that too. To watch the mom's faces, because it's often the moms that will do the, the behaving with their young person, to watch their face when they are applying the touch to their child and to see the child relax and to be a part of the process in a way that other modalities don't allow me to incorporate them and their faces just melt. They start out being really tense because it's a difficult topic perhaps, or they have their own worries, and then they just soften and you see them really engaged in the process. And it's, I think it's a beautiful moment for both of them, for the receiver of the treatment and the one giving that healing touch. It's just really beautiful. It's been something that I didn't anticipate Because we didn't in our training talk a lot about having someone else apply the touch. And it was something that I came up with for my own level of comfort, honestly. But now I incorporate the parents very deliberately for this purpose.
0: I can see how that could be very healing as teenagers are often, don't touch me. (laughs) And to actually have them, but to do this modality that's really calming for them is probably great for both, like you said, the parent and the child.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's been just a, a transformative process for the families when they participate in it, and also for me to see it, it. It's really just a beautiful process.
0: So I know you mentioned there's touch involved. So is this where a therapist touch the client? Can you talk about how that works?
1: And sure, sure. Well, you know, therapists don't like to touch their clients. I always, I always preface. I can that. feel the
0: cringes right now from listeners. <laughs>
1: i'm sure they do i always ask permission i explain it to the client i have them i demonstrate the touch for them and they do it for themselves and i will ask if they want me to apply the touch for them or if they want to try it themselves i i don't have a percentage of how many people choose to have me apply it versus uh, themselves you know, it's not an insignificant number of people that'll say, "Yeah, I'd be happy to have you to do this." I, I do try to incorporate a partner if possible. I've had I've had couples come in together, so I. That's a uh, good idea.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah, I will have the other person in the partnership come in to apply the touch if that seems like it might be helpful, depending on what's going on in the family.
0: It seems like giving them the options is is really
1: being trauma informed, too. Yeah, and I always ask my clients. Oftentimes, the people who have asked me to apply the touch are people that I've had like significant long term relationships with, and so either we've been seeing each other for a very long time, or they knew me when they were teenagers, and now they've come back to me as adults. And those are the folks who have been really open to having me apply the touch yeah mm-hmm.
0: so what about really traumatized clients who don't want to touch themselves or have you touched them? Can you still do this technique?
1: We can. What we would do in that case is a couple of different things. One of the things I've done is I have a therapy dog and I will ask them if it's okay for them to apply the touch to our therapy dog. also have that. some really fuzzy pillows that um, are like they're they're wool and they're free. And also, I've asked folks to bring in a stuffed animal or if they want it, if that particular one, and they will have it on those stuffed animals. So there are options for folks that don't enjoy physical touch or they might not be ready for it yet. And then we can. Yeah. Kind of put this. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I do a lot of self soothing with physical touch on themselves, but yeah, some people are just not there and that's okay. And I love how you have different options though.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I try to make sure when I have someone come in that all of those options are on the couch so that it's a pretty smooth transition so that I can ask them if they want to try something else.
0: Is that something you have to have an informed consent to for the touch? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we have an informed consent that they sign. If if I'm going to be applying the touch, in particular, Havening has an informed consent form. Now.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, and I think that's just clear for therapists listening that any kind of modality where there's physical touch involved, it's really important to have that in your informed consent.
1: Absolutely, wouldn't do it without it.
0: Yeah, don't want to do that. And especially if you, I know a lot that like yoga, other yoga techniques, of course, we have to have that in there as well. Because any kind of movement modality, it's so important protect yourself, but then making sure they understand what they're getting into with that.
1: Right, right. And the one thing havening is really the the certification body is really clear on that this is a modality. And so it's not a treatment technique, it's a modality. So they want to to make sure that it's a technique versus a treatment, if that makes sense. What's the difference? So I think that they are clear that there's still research to be done that hasn't been done on it. So they separate it out from something that has got the research to back it up. And so they separate it out as a technique versus a treatment, which also allows non-licensed professionals to use Havening as long as they are trained and certified. Okay. And what are your thoughts on that? I think as long as the person has been through the certification process, which is pretty, it's not a simple process. It's not a one weekend deal. And they are clear on who they have to refer out. I think that it can be quite useful. I've met people who are not treatment providers, but they use Havening and they seem to do so very well. And they also know when to refer someone out. It's a big part of our training. Of when do you refer someone out? Because not everybody is going to come in and say, hey, have this trauma exactly. history.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's always a, a cautionary tale too, because I've worked with therapists who've seen life coaches and sometimes they don't stay in their lane, shall we say. And I've had one that was telling me about how they were really digging deep into their childhood trauma. And that's just <laughs> going out of your scope of practice if you're not a licensed clinician. So I think that's just the... That's always where I'm a little leery. like, oh, they, I hope that people are really being careful with this because there could be harm from people that aren't trained in therapy.
1: Right. And, and a big part of our training was the necessity to go in and get that history before you ever start havening so that you can be aware of whether if you're not a licensed clinician, whether or not this is a client that you should be taking. You know, the people I've met when I was doing my training They seem to have a very clear picture of understanding the challenges of havening and not wanting to be in a situation where they may bring things up. Because it's one of the side effects with all trauma treatment is when we remove a particular trauma response, it may have been holding back something else. And... There may be traumas that we're not aware of. We need to be prepared for that and make sure that that client has the resources available to take care of themselves if anything were to happen between sessions or after a havening session.
0: I guess, what are the risks with havening? Is there some dangers involved for clients?
1: I I think that's part of the issue is... If you don't know or the client hasn't disclosed that there's a previous trauma or they may not be aware, and when we go back and we eliminate this trauma response from something that they thought was a challenge to them, there may it may have been holding back memories of traumas that they weren't aware of or they had put thought they had put aside and so those can come to the forefront and become a challenge for the person if they don't have those resources available. Um, I've definitely had clients come in after having sessions and say, you know, I'm having a lot more active dreams. They're not bad, but they are way more active and this has never happened before. Those have usually been clients who have very significant trauma histories of multiple traumas over the course of their lifetime. So now I just prepare people. I let them know.
0: Don't be surprised. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. This could happen. And this is what we're going to do about it.
0: Okay. Yeah. So we're just being careful with that, making sure that you're properly trained too. And-
1: I would say that no one should practice havening unless they've been certified. It, it's a process that was um, really helpful and eye-opening, um, it involves, if I remember correctly, it's been a while since I did my training, at least 10 case studies that we go in and write up and discuss. And our instructor watched the videos and make comments. And I think it was a really important process to go through. I wouldn't just read a book and think that I could do havening.
0: Yeah, you don't want to just jump
1: into something like this. For sure. That being said, I think we can do it for self-care. And use evening for ourselves to reduce stress, anxiety. I, I think that that's definitely something that we can use this technique for and not be worried about.
0: So would you say that the techniques are easy to learn?
1: I would say the technique itself, the very bare bones is the nuance and the art of it takes practice because there is definitely a framework that we follow, but there is more to it. If you watch a really skilled havening provider do a havening session with someone, it is very different than the bare bones, this is how you do a havening session script, so to speak. Very different. And it it's really remarkable. There's um, I don't know if his videos are out, but my trainer has shared with us some you know, videos of him doing some extensive long he does long sessions. And it's really remarkable to watch him weave the information that he's getting from the client and using it while they are doing the havening to disconnect those emotional responses from the um, original trauma. It's really fascinating to watch. On one hand, yes, but it's definitely it's the the art of it. I think takes a lot more time.
0: What is the training like? Like how many
1: hours to be certified?
0: Yeah, so it was
1: the initial training is one weekend, two days, and then you sign up for a six month commitment to meeting. I believe we met once or twice a week, and we did demonstrations, case studies. Our trainer showed us demonstrations of him working with clients. And then there is a test that you have to take for the brain chemistry part of havening. And you have to pass that. And then there is um, another test you take on ethics when using complementary medicine techniques.
0: So what is going on in the body when you're doing a havening technique?
1: Yeah. So the the basics of it is a really interesting. So the touch that is applied increases the delta waves in the brain, which are generally not present when we're awake and are more present when we're asleep. And then on a uh, cut to the chase, there's some chemical processes that happen. There's um, yeah. You don't have a, to go into every detail. Yeah, I'm <laughs> not okay. going into here. <laughs> but on a neurochemical um, level the neural pathway gets disconnected from the memory to the trauma response. And so that happens when we start to use the distraction while the person is in this really relaxed, highly delta state. And so the their neurochemically, the brain pathway changes so that they no longer have the response and they they either won't remember it with the same level of tension that they had, or they won't remember it at all. I had a client who I did havening on a very specific um, discreet event that was related to them panicking every time someone knocked on their door. Several weeks went by and they were telling me a story about someone knocking on their door. And I was like, wait a minute, could you tell me that again? And I had to ask them several times and finally I think they thought I had lost my mind because I kept asking about this. So someone knocked on your door and then they finally said, Oh, I've been waiting for this. I forgot that it was even a problem. Wow. That's amazing. It is it is amazing for someone to tell me that they can no longer remember what was bothering them and they they will say after the havening session, it's kind of disappearing and then it's gone. Other people remember it, but they just don't have the trauma response as strong. And usually if they still have a response, it is because we have not hit the correct target. There might have been something prior to the target that we were using that was actually related. And so we go back and we will find that event that may have been related and haven on that and that you know sometimes it, it happens quickly but life is not beautiful and people are complex happen. yeah yeah and so sometimes it takes us a couple times to really figure out what the related target is and then it just takes away anything that was related to it they just won't have a response to anything that elicited that response in them
0: that's phenomenal So, overall, do you feel like this is more helpful than some other modalities?
1: I do. I think that on everything I've learned in the past 31 years, this is the most powerful technique I've ever used. And I use it almost every day. You know, at this point in my career, I have a limited caseload. I don't take too many clients. I actually only take clients for Havening now. And only for very specific reasons. Usually um, I've got a lot of clients that come to me for misophonia. And so I'll see those clients because I'm the only person around that can do this. So I will use that on them. And then some very clients coming back to me, I'll I'll see them. But most powerful technique I've ever learned by far. And I know from speaking with clients, no offense to the EMDR folks, I've had clients who have had EMDR before, and they've come to me for havening, and they prefer, hands down, every single one of them has told me they preferred the havening over the EMDR. I don't know that that's going to be true for every single client who's over had EMDR. I'm not saying that, but it's just been a coincidence that the folks that have sought out havening have really preferred it yeah I think EMDR is not for everybody yeah I and I think that the feedback I've gotten is this is a little bit more gentle
0: yeah I've heard that too from other modette because I have I do brain spotting and some people that come to me have had EMDR and it's been too too hard for them
1: right because they don't have to one of the things I love about havening is we don't have to reprocess the trauma we just bring it to the mind for less than a minute and then we move into the havening process. And so they, they are very quickly put in a more relaxed state. Nice.
0: So can you walk my listeners through what would a
1: session look like? Sure. So first I would kind of explain Havening to a client and then I would demonstrate for them the Havening touch. So there's four touches that I show them. I start out by showing them with their hands. So For those folks who are not watching the video, you just take one hand and gently brush the other hand, like the palms. So one palm, put your palm up. Yeah, there you go. And nice and slow as if if you were petting a bunny. So it's that kind of pressure and gentleness. And so I have them close their eyes and maybe just take a nice deep breath. Exhale while they gently. Put one hand over the other in a nice gentle stroke. And then after a little bit of time, I will move on to their arms. So we start, cross our arms in front of us, and we put our hands on our shoulders and move down from our shoulder to our elbow in a nice gentle, again, just like you're petting a bunny, not too much pressure. And We always do a pressure check. I've been told I use a little bit more pressure than other havening Um, practitioners. Some people like that. Some people don't. So we, if we're working together and I'm applying the touch, we will work on what the appropriate amount of touch is as far as pressure.
0: so, So we don't want too much.
1: So we don't want, for some people, they want a little bit more pressure. Some people want a little less. Some people really, we need to vary the speed or the pressure during the process, depending on how they are working through the the response. And then from our arms, we move up to our face and we do our forehead. So we just start at the center and move out towards our temples. And again, nice and slow and gentle. I always ask people to close their eyes. One of the things we do with paving is we always work with our eyes closed because we're typically working on something that has happened in the past. And then we move down to the cheeks. We use our flats of our hands and just go down, nice and gentle. After we've done this for a bit and we've gone through all of them, I asked them which one felt the most relaxing or calming to them. And so we're going to start with that area first. So I'm going to then ask them to bring up whatever it may be that they are working on, whether it is a past traumatic event that we've determined is appropriate. I also ask them if they have any concerns or anything bothers them about any types of music or song because we're going to do some humming. I usually use nursery rhymes. And for some people, based on their history, they might have some problems with certain nursery rhymes So I'll ask them to tell me if there's any that are okay or not okay. And then once we have gotten the traumatic memory pulled up, I'll ask them to give me a SUD score, zero, it's not a problem, 10, it's the worst imaginable. Once we have a SUD score, ask them to move away from that memory and to start havening. Then I'm going to give them some distractions. I may ask them to imagine that they are walking up stairs and count to 20 Identifying, you know, counting each step as they go. Once they have hit that 20th step, I may ask them to hum maybe twinkle, twinkle, little star. And after we're through that, then we are going to take another suds and get a feed. Typically, people have dropped down about two. Some people will drop down more, but typically it's about two if we've hit the right memory and we. We do something similar. Again, we, I, I tend to use different distractions each time and different songs. I try to use active things. So if I have a yoga instructor, I will ask them to do yoga poses. Tell me 20 yoga poses or imagine you're swimming 20 laps and in the counting, have them maybe go to their favorite place and describe it for me as they walk through it. And we always end with some humming because that stimulates the vagal nerve. And so that helps with the process as well. So we'd like to use that humming. Typically after three rounds, person may be at a zero and we we can move into... A different stage of havening. If they're not at a zero, typically what it looks like is I'll ask them what feeling they're feeling, what's keeping them where they are. And then we'll do something called transpirational havening, where they will say the word, if they're feeling angry, they would say angry um, over and over again until a new memory a new thought comes in and they would say that word and then we would keep going until they they're out of memories and then typically we move into try to set some intentions so we'll move into it's called affirmational havening where we'll kind of come up with something that they might want more of in their life whether it's peace or happiness or focus or or confidence And then I'll have them repeat some phrases that I say while they continue to haven. And then it's, let's say they were wanting more confidence. We shift into the affirmational where I'll say a a phrase and they'll just say the word confident. And then we usually finish it up with the outcome havening where we imagine that they are experiencing whatever it is they're trying to get, that they can see themselves living their lives like that. And then we move into, can they feel themselves living their lives with, say, more confidence to use that as an example. And then they would, typically most people can bring that to mind and will practice that. We'll use some affirmations for them to use throughout the week. And they can do some self-havening throughout the week, just saying those phrases that help cement things in place where they can, start to see themselves in a different light. How long does a session last? It can last anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour and a half. Um, There are people that do longer sessions. I typically don't for a variety of reasons, but I have definitely had people need a 90 minute session if we're really working hard on an experience that they want to disconnect. But it can be as quick as 15 minutes. I've had I've worked with athletes and I'll do a, a done, a 30 minute session before performance. I had somebody call me from the airport one time, they had an emergency flight and we had not gotten to their fear of flying to their trip to the airport. And so we did a havening session. It was probably about 20 minutes on the phone while they were at the airport. And about an hour later, they sent me a picture over the wing of the plane and they were like, this is the best flight ever. Oh, wow. I love it. That's amazing. Really depends on what's going on and what we are trying to accomplish in each session.
0: Oh, I appreciate you sharing the details of that so listeners can get a better idea of what to expect from this and all the steps involved. What's the best way for listeners to find you and learn more about you?
1: Probably our website, www.ncpsychologist.com.
0: Awesome. Well, thank
1: you so much for coming
0: on the Holistic Counseling Podcast, Kristen.
1: Thank you, Chris, for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, this was great. And I hope, listeners, that you got a lot out of that episode. Are you frustrated with generic intake forms that don't reflect who you are as a holistic counselor? Having great intake forms are an essential part of building a relationship with your clients. I created my holistic intake forms for therapists just like you. This includes comprehensive intake questions unique to holistic counseling, including questions with physical issues, mental concerns, and spiritual questions. Go to my website, holisticcounselingpodcast.com forward slash resources to find the information and download it for $29.95. And this is Chris McDonald sending each one of you much light and love. Till next time, take care. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Holistic Counseling Podcast. Check out my resource page, which has amazing holistic resources and discount codes for products that I have personally vetted. Head on over to www.holisticcounselingpodcast.com forward slash resources. Your support is appreciated.